Hey, Andy from the Deep Dive Podcast. Just letting you know that throughout June here, we will be releasing more Evergreen uh, podcasts. This time going back in the catalog, Evergreen May is going to extend all the way through June, getting you a second podcast every week leading into NFL preview season that uh, starts in July. Today, we're going to dive way back into uh, the history, the annals of the deep dive. This is episode 139. Recorded in March of 2019. I haven't sat and listened to it yet to sound, uh, to kind of get a feel for how dumb we were back then. But uh, looking forward to spending some time with it this week. Hopefully you guys give it a re-listen. Maybe buzz us a little in the uh, in the Discord or on Twitter about how dumb we were back then. How little we knew. But I feel like we had a pretty good grip on closing line value. Even early in our kind of career of starting to use it as a, you know, a bellwether and an indicator and a, a metric. So deep dive episode 139 CLV or GTFO. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We are back from a teeny weeny weeny little hiatus, uh, and uh, it is conference tournament time. This is March, Andy. Uh, how, uh, how's, how's, tell me what's going on in your world related to conference uh, tournaments before we get into today's topic. I am going to take every fucking dime i've made in college <laughs> basketball this year and reinvest it i didn't think that was true until i started looking at how much i was putting on these futures and i'm like oh shit i'm gonna have like i want to have like 25 30 units invested if i keep up at this rate but i think there'll be some there'll be some there'll be some conferences i just don't touch like spoiler alert i am not going to spend some money fading gonzaga like it just it doesn't make sense. There's going to be a few of these f- conferences right. I can't really recommend any future bets outright. So there's going to be some like I uh, will go real light, real real light on. But uh, yeah, so far it's been it's been a little heavy. It started out pretty uh pretty thick on what I started laying down on some of these, which was nice. Some of them, some of the ones I really liked, moved in my favor, which is good but yeah writing preview articles if you don't already follow me on twitter they're they're short they're not long i'm not the guy that knows every player on every team i don't follow it that closely there's too many damn teams i get a job i got a wife i got kids i have models i have news i read before i make bets and i try to do a little bit of research on each one of these conferences put it out there because it was like I was saying to somebody before they're all different like every one of these has their own little idiosyncrasies they're you know they'll be at a neutral site this one will have double buys this one doesn't let all the teams in it's only the eight top seeds you know this one's in this one's at a a site but it's also in one of the town or one of the college's hometown it might just be a crosstown arena for a team like there's a lot of goofy stuff going on and and uh there's several books as well as some of the onshores that are actually i've heard uh, DraftKings has has numbers up too that they're going to be 
putting outrights out for all 32 tournaments, which is a lot of fun this time of year to be cheering. Nice, man. Especially when you can get a couple teams in the finals and make some money. Nice, man. Um, have you? So, yeah, look for your... look for that over the next week. What's been your favorite uh, play so far? Oh, Campbell, Campbell at four and a quarter. It's down to like plus two twenty five. Oh, Pretty man. happy with that number. That was such a shitty line. I I lost uh, some of my long shots. I bet went the other way, which it is what it is. Those are small bets, and I guess I'll be upset if they hit because I lost some but such is life when you're trying to capture it's like you with your nba it's tough because you get you're putting those numbers out for people on twitter that's kind of the life we lead when you want to be putting plays out you you have to you're kind of a prisoner of the moment when you when you want to be putting these out a couple of these i put screenshots of the odds a couple of these i've had to take new screenshots because all of a sudden i catch myself going back and editing a few things and then i go look and the lines have shifted yeah, I'm trying no, to have that. some sort of accuracy, some sort of accuracy. But no, there's been a, there's been a couple of nice ones that have that have moved my way, and I've got some long shots. I've got some 60, 40, 60 to one shots, eighty to one, even in one that uh, I just I'm going going off what my numbers say, and I'm I'm not afraid to put five ten bucks on a super long shot to, if if I think they're better than their numbers is. Nice. Well, it sounds like you captured some nice closing line value on the Campbell Camels, even though oh. the line's not closed. Uh, it does sound like you have some value in your pocket. I doubt we see four and a quarter again. We, right? call, we call that potential closing line value. Potential closing line value. Okay. But that's a good segue into what we want to really get into today. Uh, last podcast we posted, uh, the topic was bankroll management. We did a very kind of beginner's sort of, the, you know, um, you know, danced around some of the key concepts and some of the ideas and shared some of the, you know, the best resources out there for free reading on this sort of topic. Uh, and today we're going to go effectively another step in the direction of becoming a sharper handicapper. And that is understanding the importance of closing line value. Um, true or false, anything in the last year of your sports betting life that you would say is more important or valuable as far as a lesson learned than tracking and understanding closing line value? Man, I don't think so. That was minor epiphany when we started getting into this. I don't know who who, who really pushed us the hardest into, into starting to track that. I think it was it was it was early on in the season, preseason when we did our New Year's resolutions in August or wherever month it was for what we wanted to do differently to try to improve our process, our results, and everything about our NFL betting. And one of yours, I'll give you credit, was to track closing line value. And I don't think either of us at that given point in our lives really knew exactly how to do that. And it was, there were some growing pains to figure it out, but I think we have a pretty decent grip on it. And I've learned, I know I have, I can't speak for you and I think I will, but anyway, I think we have learned quite a bit about closing line value in the past year. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a, it was a concept that uh, I kind of knew in the back of my head was important. I didn't really know why I kind of knew when we started this football season uh, that if you can show positive, you know, value captured based on the prices you're betting, then it was a good indication that you were a sharp handicapper. Um, And, you know, we kind of learned the hard way also about NFL, like sometimes you know, it's a small sample size and you don't necessarily can't necessarily point to your results against the spread and really make a compelling case to people who have been in this industry a long time that you're winning better just based on one season's results. Uh, and then that was kind of the epiphany of, OK, this season starting to put together a track record of closing line value for NFL betting as a means of kind of proving that we weren't just, you know, spinning narratives for fun, but we were actually making sharp plays and we were actually beating the market. Uh, and through all of that, I completely agree with you. It was epiphany. It was an eye opening experience. It was, a, oh, my goodness. Like and, you know, the further we went into the season, the more important it got uh, to where. You know, well, by the time the first game kicked off on Sunday, you know, just looking at how my plays that I put in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, looking at how they had performed over the course of the week in terms of the market, I could tell pretty well what my record on uh, against the spread was going to be for the week, even without, you know, you know, without seeing the games played uh, just on the basis of, you know, hey, I went seven and one against you know the closing line this week in the NFL. I'm going to have a damn good week. Uh, and it was, it was amazing how predictive that stuff was. It was eye opening, And um, yeah, it all kind of points to, uh, you know, it's all, it's all really, I guess, would you say one of the pillars of this concept and this topic is uh, having an efficient market? Yeah. And I, I don't think you can say the market is efficient, especially the opening market, but over the long term, it does become quite efficient at the close. The the people that are betting into it make it make it efficient. And I think, uh, I mean, just maybe some of the myths and missteps, like uh, one of the, the wildest things I ever heard when I first heard it, and then now it's just gospel and it makes total sense is, like, you know, it's always you versus the books. And uh, gosh, our friend Alex really put this well one time when he was tweeting at somebody and i mean it's true you're not up against the books you're against every other better unless you place a bet on the very opening line that's the only time you're betting against the books otherwise you're going up against the market you're up against every other bet they pay the winners with the losers money and they take what's left like it's just how it works um yeah, I think uh, some of the some of the things we learned, some of the things I looked up over over the course of time, just finding out just how predictive those are, the the closing markets can be. I mean, it it's just a fact that you know the the things that close at you know certain rates, they're going to win and lose at that at those you know closing implied odds rather. And I guess maybe we should take a step back and just get into exact what closing line value is as far as the math yeah I mean, it, okay it's a it's just kind of a i mean it's, it's a it's a measure of how well how much value you have versus the closing line your bet that you place so i mean just real real rudimentary if you made a bet and let's just make it a money line to make it easy you bet a money line at minus 110 and when let's say it's a boxing match, when that boxing match happens, 
the person you bet on, the fighter, they closed at minus 150. You've captured closing line value. Because okay. now the market is saying, I mean, what, what's what's the implied at minus 150? I was hoping you were doing this example with the, your spreadsheet in front of you because I can't I can't flip decimal oh. laws. I, I mean, can't it's, flip it's one it's one US divided by it's as fast one divided by two point five. It's it's it, yeah, it, it's sixty percent. So, um, or jeez, oh, now I'm now I'm doing all the math wrong. Either way, it's 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 more than it's more than what you bet. So your implied odds at minus one ten are going to be what fifty two point three eight. And you you do bring up a good point. It would be great to have my spreadsheet open because that's the other <laughs> part about this. There is a lot of math involved. But once once you once you know the math, I don't do this math on the daily. I'm I'm not sitting here crank, crunching numbers all the time. Like I just I have my spreadsheet to do that. Once you know the math, you just set up a spreadsheet to do this. All I'm doing is entering the bet I make what the odds are and then when the game starts at, at some point I'll go back and look at what it closed at and I'll enter that and all the other columns just automatically populate itself and and you know it'll figure out my closing line value for me you should it's another thing just like when we talk modeling you should have this stuff automated to make your life a little easier let's make it minus 200 because I can do that no, no, no let's flip head. it up let's flip around and pretend like we bet on a dog that makes it real fucking easy. Let's pretend like oh, uh, that does make it easy. Let's let's pretend like uh, Nick Kyrgios was in the Acapulco final and he opened at plus two hundred. Okay, what is uh, what is the implied percent winning? Uh, or what's the break even win percentage if he is plus two hundred? How do you convert that? Well, first off, we're going to talk about decimal odds. And if you ever <laughs> if you ever follow anybody on Twitter who is European, Canadian, Australian. I'm not going to go with Brits because they use the fucking fractions. Drives me up a wall. But um, <laughs> you see people say, I'm betting, you know, I'm betting this soccer match at 1.8. 1.8 is just minus 125. But it's it, it's a different system they use over there. And I thought it was dumb at first. But boy, if you want to be using anything and figuring out closing line value, you have to convert to decimal odds. Decimal odds are just are just so much more conducive to this math. And I mean, real simply, if you bet something at even money at plus 100, the decimal odds are two, 2.0. <laughs> because when you bet something at even money, when you if you took $100 to the window or to your bookmaker online and you gave them $100 at even money and you won the game, match, whatever, you would get $200 back. You get the $100 you staked and the $100 you won. So it's 2.0. For every dollar, you get 2.0 return to you. So that's why minus 125 is 1 1.8. When you wager $100, you get your $100 back if you win plus 80 because you bet at minus 125. And, they do, and it does kind of change your outlook on how you bet because in America, it feels like we just – automatically want to lay the juice because you don't people don't want to bet a hundred dollars to win ninety dollars and ninety cents i do but it, it just it, it's i don't know if it's some sort of mind fuck psychology thing but it it does it does make us do that i think so uh right okay, and then so... once you get above once, once you get into dogs fractional or decimal odds are so much easier once you get oh, into yeah. dogs anybody can figure those out but for, yeah for, first off yeah decimal odds are going to be are going to be your friend when figuring out CLV. Go back to your yep. curious thing. 
Okay. So uh, let's say you bet plus 200. What's okay. that decimal odds? That's three. Three That's point three zero. in decimal odds. Nice. What's your implied probability? Uh, 33.3%. What's the break even? No, and yeah, I will break say even. break yeah. even and implied probability are the same thing. That's true. That's true. That's true. The, um, Unless you're the, starting to figure in vague, which is right. a second step. That's However, kind of there is a true, advanced, there but. is an implied, let's say that was a closing line in an efficient market, though. There is a true probability that is that implied probability mar minus whatever the bookmaker margin is installed on that margin. Player. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's it's a it's a reasonable assumption, as far as I can tell you, in a relatively liquid market, in a relatively um, even, you know, if, if you're betting sides or totals or whatever, and the VIGs, you know, common, you know, standard juice effectively. Uh, then, uh, as far as I can tell you, the margin is split pretty evenly beside between the two sides. Um, when you get into some favorites, long shots, sometimes the margin is inflated on the side of the dog because you know there is some favorite long shot bias. But we don't really need to get into that into too much detail to today. Just to recognize though that like plus two hundred for Kyrgios to win the Acapulco final implied break-even probability of 33% chance, which means if you were running a model and you are calculating something, some greater probability than that, 40%, 45%, if you made that wager, then, you know, you were, you, you know, you were, um, you know, stating, so, so to speak, that the likelihood of him winning was greater than 33.3%. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, let, sure, yeah. Let, let's take that step back. And I don't know how much we got into that when we talked modeling, but I think that's half of uh, what you need to get to when you do model is we talked about the final step in any model is comparing two things. And we did talk a lot about, you know, maybe NBA, let's just say NBA spreads. If you think your model says the Celtics should be favored by 10, the line is Celtics by five. You know, you, you're saying, well, I should be betting that five because I think they should be a bigger favorite. But a lot of models will just spit out the the implied probability like this of a money line, which I think is a lot easier. And yeah, like you hit that on the head. The, the implied probability, the break even of a, a two to one dog plus 200, whatever have you, is 33%, 33.33. So if you run some numbers, put together some modeling, put together some algorithms, and you have Nick Kyrgios as winning the match 40% of the time, then, yeah, that's that's a bet, depending on what your thresholds are. That's ex exactly why you need to know what these implied probabilities are of the odds so you can tell whether your modeling numbers have value. Okay, so let's then, pretend. Should go to the next. Let's let's go to the. Well, let's, did, close, yeah. let's close so, this line. Yeah. So this didn't actually. This didn't actually happen because it went the other way. Ironically, Zverev took a shitload of money in the Acapulco final. I didn't know that until I just looked it up. Well, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but let's say uh, let's say it closed in, at uh, let's plus. Let's let's pretend it closed at uh, plus one fifty. It moved fifty cents from plus two hundred to plus one fifty. You got it at plus two hundred, and it closed at plus one fifty. What is the uh, the implied uh, percentage now? Plus one fifty is forty percent, which is funny. I know I did. I, I was doing that on purpose. So it's, right. it's, so it's coming. I know. I didn't know if you did that on purpose, but yes. So to, plus one fifty, and that is to say, if you bet, if and and I guess we should say too, like 
in most markets, and it's tough to say because I haven't delved into everything, but in most markets, this closing number is going to be pretty close over the long run. Like if you took every, and there's some pretty good articles, especially about tennis. I've looked into it in baseball. If you yep. take every player who ever closed as a plus 150 favorite and you took all of the results and you put them into a spreadsheet and you looked, they win 40% of the time, almost on the nuts. Like it's, it's pretty wild how close these closing lines are. There is, there is some efficiency to the closing, the closing market. It's true. It's on, it's absolutely so, I mean, true. Just, just so, and, and that, so saying that you can almost say with certainty over the long run, that if you made this bet a hundred times at two to one and more often than not, it closed at a lower price, say plus 150, you're betting on something that happens 33. You're betting like it's going to happen 33% of the time, and it's actually going to happen 40% of the time. And there's your value. That's why you win. This is what yeah. you need. I mean, this is what you need to you beat, do. You beat the bookmaker margin. It's, it's, you beat the bookmaker margin. You have enough that if you do this over the long term, you're going you're gonna to overcome variance, and you are going to have an expected positive return betting on sports if you can pull this off because, period 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 yeah and, and so, it's not in you know not to say in 10 in 10 matches this isn't you know you're not going to win it, it is a long-term thing you can absolutely kill closing line value and still have a losing week month year <laughs> decade i mean it's just there's still variants there's still outliers but over the long haul you should be in better shape this is going to put you ahead of the game the best example i ever encountered or came up with was well the, just what are what are the implied odds let's say the closing odds we'll call it of a coin toss mr whale 50 50 if you're 50 percent yeah. so 50 percent yeah. yeah if it's a fair coin so let's say let's say that's the odds. So if you're betting on a coin toss, 50-50 should be the odds. But let's say the bookmaker sucked at life, really didn't understand what a coin was, and they <laughs> opened the lines heads plus 110. So if you're betting plus 110 and then the bookmaker realizes what a coin toss is, closes the line at I mean they should close it at a minus number if they want some margin, but let's even if they just close it at even, which is the true odds of a coin over a long term. You're getting you're getting closing line value. Like you just tell me how that loses. I mean, yeah. it, it might lose in one toss. It certainly can lose in one toss very easily. You could lose over a hundred tosses, but over a long enough period of time, if you have better odds than the actual market closing market, that is, you're going to be in just so much better shape than than not taking this into account. Hey, you know it's what's something? You know, you know what's funny. Uh, you bring that up. Did you ever read the study? Uh, and I wish I could remember where I read this. This was probably last summer I saw this. But they did a study where they were actually using a fixed coin. And they told people that it was a fixed coin. They're like, hey, heads is going to land uh, 60% of the time here. And they gave them an imaginary bankroll. And they said, you know, see if you can make the most money. Right? Like, they basically put it, people to a test. They were like, make as much money as you can possibly make. Right? And even though they, yep. even though they, had I know, I know the study you're talking about, and sixty percent or something that it was landing heads, like two thirds of the people 
went bankrupt and it was like how is this fucking possible and it was literally just like bankroll management and like boredom and like people like were like well i want to make the most money so i got to be extra risky and so so basically people just you know they were like well i I can't can't land on tails tails four times in a row so they put their whole bankroll on the fifth flip or fourth flip or whatever you know so that kind of stuff definitely uh you know cost a lot of people and that that's a a good one to kind of revisit when we do like our cognitive bias uh, podcast cognitive for closing biases, yes, for closing for sure. line value. You know, if you do have that numerical edge over the long run, you will be a profitable better. And so you can kind of short circuit the system in terms of proving yourself as a, um, you know, as a sharp mind, as a advantage better, if you can come up with a numerical percentage that shows how much you are beating the closing line by in a given sport across multiple sports, whatever. Uh, and that is kind of the true badge of honor, much more so than how many emojis you can put in a tweet with your winning picks or whatever else the case is that people kind of use to truly, you know, get attention and build a following. Like, you know, if you're evaluating, you know, someone in any given sport, uh, and you ask them, you know, for some sort of record that's, you know, beyond their win loss record, ask for, uh, Ask for what they're, you know, how, 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 how often they beat the closing line and by how much, uh, because that is a much truer, uh, in identification of their, um, you know, of, of whether or not they're an advantage better than whether or not they put together a winning season across one sport, even if it's like to the tune of 200 or 500 picks. So, um, that's, and we yeah, learned that, that. That's a super we good point. I, I think, and you see that. You see that a lot where people, you'll see a Twitter argument or something and it'll be, oh, well, you have a winning record, but who knows if you 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 actually won money because you could be betting a lot of huge money line favorites or something along that line. Or, you know, you're 10 games over 500, but you're playing minus 140 every time or something along those lines. You know, and that that is such a good point when you're looking at someone's success capping, honestly, like closing line value is super important. It's always going to be important and right up there, like return on investment. If someone, if someone's like trying, especially get tout, if someone's trying to sell you something <laughs> and they can't show you an ROI like that, that's way more important. I know, I know that there's guys out there that are 500 betters that make money because they're, they're hockey guys that bet plus plus numbers every day. Like win loss record is kind of shit. Like in, unless you're like, I, I shouldn't say that because I, you know, I, my NBA or my NCAA stuff is I, I, I use that win loss record as a, kind of a, a marker on how I'm doing, I guess. But that also is a fact that I'm only betting minus one tens, minus one fifteens, minus one Oh fives. Like that, that actually has some semblance in my, in my world, but yeah, I still think in my world, like ROI and yeah. yeah, ROIs and yeah, and unit structure too. That's the other thing too. People could be going wild chase plays for 10 units, ROI and CLV are the only things that matter when you're looking at someone's records. Yep. 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 Okay. So let's talk about then CLV. Go back one step then to, uh, to our, uh, our Nick Kyrgios example. Uh, you bet plus 200, it closed plus 150, right? Um, how much CLV did we capture? We captured 7% in terms of implied winning probability. Is that my CLV? 6.67. 6.67. Excuse me. 
Um, your CLV is much higher than that. Your CLV is actually 20%. 20%? That has a lot to that has a lot to do with the actual bet that you placed. Okay. And I don't know explain if you want to lead to into me. the question like we talked yeah. about a little off here. Yeah, but, explain but, that uh, to me. Once once you do the math, once you make the difference. So your first calculation, you you need you need a couple numbers here. And honestly, you just need really two numbers. You need the, you know, obviously you're figuring it off the odds, but the odds are going to give you the implied probability of the bet you made. The bet we made in this example is a two to one bet comes in at a 33.3% implied probability. The bet, the line, the match closed at plus 150, which is a 47, 40% probability. The difference being 6.67%. That's your difference. And then you take that and divide it by your implied probability again to give you the actual value of that difference. Because there is a big difference between, you know, uh, here, I'll, I'll look at one of my, like Drexel, Drexel plus seven. This is a play I made on Saturday, which is, it, it did not win, which is a big yeah. theme with my Saturday. <laughs> but sure. uh, so Drexel, 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 it was, it was a minus 110. Minus 110 is a 52.38% probability. 52.38% of the time it's going to win. So that actually closed in a much lower line. And I don't know what it was because I use decimal odds, but in my world, it's minus 167 or 1.67 rather. So it, it closed two or three points off. So if I had to bet Drexel plus seven again, I would be doing it at a huge number because Drexel was down to like plus five once the game tipped. All right, there we my go. difference yeah, went from, it went from it went from fifty two to fifty nine. What's up? And then we gotta we gotta zero back in on this because this is something that gets lost to people trying to do exactly what we're do, we're talking about doing. Um, so your Drexel bet the points it uh, you it moved how many points? Two and a half points. It moved from it moved from seven to, to five. five. To, so so it moved seven points. to five. How yes. and you're telling me there is a way to calculate the win percentage across moving those two points? How, how do I do that? Yeah, that was different because we did start with money lines, and money lines are awful easy to know. But let's say, like in that case, we moved from Drexel plus seven minus one ten to Drexel plus five. So in that case, we what's the website we use? Odds Portal. There's Odds a couple of different ways, jam, and yeah. I think we're going to put. We're definitely, we're definitely going to put some put some links again. This is uh, this is going to be a big one for links. Look at the Twitter post for this. There's going to be a couple links. One of them is going to be Odds Portal, where you can go look at results, and I can go back and look at results for in this case college basketball. Go back a couple days and look at the Drexel game, which I I don't know if I can find it in any sort of. Uh, speedy fashion here but i'll be damned there it is so in that case <laughs> you want to try to use pinnacle they're and they're it they're they have the, the yeah they, they they're, are they're the they, market yes. that's and it's the sharpest guess, it's the sharpest yeah, market there is just because of the people that they let bet there the limits that they let them bet there so basically yes, a clientele the clientele of the quote-unquote sharps we assume are predominantly 
you know, take they're they're getting their action down at Pinnacle. They are moving that market around, and so the most efficient and I'm gonna, with I'm the gonna lowest margins is likely take Pinnacle, right? So I wish I could do a screenshot, but I can't because it's a podcast. So either way, there's a big old screen that shows me every which line because on these European books, on these offshores that you can use in Canada and elsewhere, you can buy and sell points like wild. And you know, it's not even called buying or selling points. You're just betting alternate lines. So while Drexel is plus five minus 110 at everybody's book over in, you know, Scandinavia, Slovakia, wherever you're at, you can still bet the same bet I made plus seven on Drexel. But in this case, you're no longer getting minus 110 because it moved. If you want to bet Drexel minus plus seven at this point, you are paying minus 149. So in this case, my bet that I made at minus 110 is now priced at minus 149. And in this case, once again, my probability went from 52% of the time to 59% roughly, where I've got, again, about a 7% difference, just like the bet we did with the tennis, but my closing line value is only 14%. Yep. Yep. Because yep. It's, it's, it's a different market. It has a different value against that. It's a different 7%. <laughs> it's the seven yep. percent that went from fifty-two to fifty-nine. It's not all the same. It's a seven percent that went from thirty-three to forty. <laughs> right. Very so, ba- so. It's basically, very basically, all we're saying is, if you normalize it by the likelihood of the bet being cashed, then you can actually then the same percent slide is different if it goes from one to ten than if it goes from ninety to ninety-nine. That's basically what we're saying. Those and nine, that's that why the last step is, is important. More, yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, but because you you can figure out the difference, and the difference is one thing, but the closing line value is what yeah. the difference is valued at in the in the probabilities you're working with. Okay. All right. Good deal. So it's worth noting here. We'll do a little little caveat, a little star, a little note. Um, we are not sophisticated to the level where we are removing, estimating, and removing the bookmaker margins. If we were living in a world where we were really, really, really fucking serious about this, we would probably have to do that to be able to say we are calculating and reporting our true closing line value. But for the purposes of what we do and this exercise, I don't think especially because we're mostly talking about relatively efficient markets and we're mostly talking about bets around an implied probability of 50% or so. Uh, I don't think it really matters that we're not taking out the bookmaker margin. Is that fair to you, Andy? Yeah, it's small. It's something I might actually start doing for NFL, but I think we should do it for NFL too, but it's, it might actually be easy. easy. It might just be, it might just be me changing. It might just be me changing one formula and dragging it down 250 times. Honestly, I might actually look into it, but Uh, it is a step that I've skipped. And, and I mean, let's, let's go back and uh, do you want to talk about like when we did incorporate this, we, we have a football chat. There's four of us. We all were going to do this. And the four of us were all doing it a different way. Everybody was doing it differently. And we, yeah. and, I mean, and yeah. there was some lively discussions, especially between you and I, trying to figure out what the <laughs> shit we were doing. And it, it was difficult. And yeah, I mean, we yeah. were pulling articles and quoting and said, this is this and this is why. Like at first, honestly, my, my initial CLV figuring was uh, points. 
you know, like sense. I bet the Vikings. Sense. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, my closing yeah. line from I went from, I I went from yeah, I went from minus one ten to minus one thirty five. I got twenty five cents of closing line value. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going. Which as, yeah, no, which, which, yeah, which, as we just discussed, that twenty five cents isn't the same as a different twenty five cents. So no, going from four twenty five minus four twenty five to yeah. minus four fifty is not the same twenty five cents, it turns out. <laughs> not even fucking. Oh guess. yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it was it was a lot of learning. Like we're there. I'm going to find an article. There was a great article that laid out all the formulas. It's still the formulas I use because it's the right formulas. I don't know. It's just built into, uh, built into my spreadsheet at this point. Yep. 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 I agree. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there are other ways to go about it, right? I mean, beyond doing, we, we do it a specific way. That doesn't mean that if you do it a different way that, and it's worked for you and you feel confident in the way you're calculating it, then that's fine. But I will say I, the, it was eye opening and kind of the aha moment for me was tracking down the odds portal archived results and looking at what exactly when the, when the market closes, what was the bet you placed at Pinnacle? What was the price for a football? If you want, if you bet plus three, that minus one ten, what did it close at? If you wanted to make that exact same bet, and once you we kind of figured out, um, you know, that you could get that stuff through the archive results, and we could look at the Pinnacle closing lines a little bit more closely. It all kind of clicked, and it was like, okay, this is. And then that, and then that became something that I would like as soon as I made my bet, like all of a sudden I was on notice, like what, where's this line going? Where is it move? Is it moved yet? Is it moving in my direction? Is this a real move or a setup? Like, you know, all of those things start to click and you really, you know, just going through the activity of it makes you aware of it. And I think really can turn your perspective on, you know, making, you know, making you more market aware, uh, which I think is a really important complexity to add to your toolbox as far as a handicapper goes, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you can know every single thing about the sport in general that you're handicapping. But if you don't understand how markets work, you're going to have a damn tough time being a, a winning better in the long term. So it's uh, it's worth kind of going through this exercise um, and, you know, putting it all into context and and just seeing for yourself like you'll 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 have some bets where you capture amazing closing line value and you'll feel very confident going into the, the match or the game or whatever and uh, things won't work out and yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean you know that if you get a broad enough sample size and you're beating the closing line two-thirds to three-quarters of the time um, then you should have pretty high confidence that you are winning better <clears throat> that said uh, yeah, it goes. It goes it's, yeah. Not, it's not an exact science, nor is it like we said over a short term. I had, I have to look back if this is the worst. I had a negative 18% closing line value on a line on Saturday. And I won that game, by the way. Like, the biggest, it's, the biggest it's, negative it's, it's, it's predictive, line. Predictive biggest... over long term. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But the market, yes, that's right. And, you know, the biggest uh, loss, CLV loss, we've, we've brought this up a bunch of times. The biggest CLV loss we had in all football season was the uh, that Eagles game on Thursday Night Football against the Giants, uh, where I still scratch my head. I don't know who in the world was steaming that thing from more, minus four down to minus one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's there are obviously going to be examples on both sides of things, but uh, the idea, the name of the game here is sample size and over the long enough sample size, if you can demonstrate uh, an ability to beat the closing line, then you're in good shape. 
The um, important point, though, uh, that I want to. Yeah, I'm just going back and look. That is the worst one. That is for sure my worst. That one one was bad. That one was bad. Uh, On (laughs) the uh, there's no the the fact that the fact that we remember the worst beat, quote unquote, beat of the season, and it was actually a closing line value beat and not an actual beat is pretty. It says kind of speaks to how far we've come, I think. Uh, But let's go back a second. I got two things I want to point out and ask you some questions on your thoughts of this. Didn't really prep for this. So it'll be interesting to hear what you think. Um, Without a doubt, the more liquid a market is, the higher the likelihood that you are looking at efficient. um, You're looking at efficiencies that reflect the true probabilities of events and outcomes. Okay. The small, basically that is to say the smaller the pool, the more limited the book's exposure to some sort of prop, the less valuable, you know, if you're, if you're hitting, uh, and I don't want to single out the hot dog eating contest because there is definitely a lot of money that is bet on the hot dog eating contest. Maybe it's not even that good an example, but uh, for sure there could be some prop market examples where, you know, lines are moving, not because market is shaping the, you know, the number appropriately, but just because it's getting steamed for God knows what reason. Right. And so there are certainly the smaller you go in scale and scope and size, and, you know, it's only on one book or it's only on a couple books and, you know, it's relatively low limits, uh, the less valuable and the less, you know, the less reasonable that closing line value is as far as a predictor. In that case, is that's my opinion. Do you think that's reasonable? I 100% agree. That's a hard agree for me. Um, a market is, I don't know, it's like a balloon that you fill up with information. <laughs> yeah, yes. You gotta, yes. You gotta pump yeah. it up. Yeah, you know, for like sure. the, the, the amount, the bets, the bets that they take, that's the information they're using to shape that line. For sure. So, I mean, if you, if you set a line and one person done it, that's not very predictive of you know the actual temperature of the market or you know anything yep. as far as being predictive you, you need a bunch of bets you need a bunch of information you know they're yep. not just going off bets obviously yep. they're going off the amount they're going off who placed them when they were placed and yep 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 you know, how, okay. how, how their liabilities are but the more yeah the more information you can get into a market the more predictive it'll become when it closes. Perfect, 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 perfect way of describing that. So now here's the next question for you: what What is the what What happens when you are the market maker? Okay, and I'm asking you because you are a market maker in these small college basketball, you know, uh, you know, uh, relatively low limits, relatively small pools overall. But, you know, hey, you've now built this model, you're capturing, you're consistently beating the line. And oh, by the way, now one book has you flagged and takes the lines down and or immediately moves them a point to a point and a half, uh, two points based on your action. Right. And, you know, oh, by the way, like Pinnacle, supposedly, like the reason that they claim that they are willing to take sharp action and track players movement is so that they have that information in their pocket of oh this sharp better played this side in the nfl that's the side that the market is going to move to and then they can be out ahead of the market moves and and the information is valuable presumably right now you're this market maker in a college basketball market uh do you 
how does how does that manifest? How does that handshake with closing line value? Do you feel like all of the closing line value you have is true and real as opposed to some of it being no. simply because of the size of the audience who's following along with you and some of, you know, all some of the buyback. And, that, and that's a good point, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And so there is yeah. you'll see buyback. Once something gets out of control, there's always buyback. Like, and there should be. We've talked about this. I should be buying back. I just don't want to be that that arbitrage middle guy that ends up losing some access to a book from for doing that repeatedly. But uh no, that and it's tough to say, like I put stuff on Twitter, you know, I get some likes. I know some people tail it. I don't know how many people or for how much, but that, you know, if enough people are betting after I put a play up, certainly it's going to move. If, if, if even let's just say a small market like that on an opener of 15 or 20 people run and bet it right away, it's going to move. And it, it and maybe it isn't moving you know, strictly in the most predictive sense, but I, I don't know. It, it is tough to say if some of that closing line value would be there if maybe I was placing these bets all over town, not at one book, if I wasn't posting them and if other people weren't tailing along. And yeah, and in case I was wondering if people were, were also playing my plays after Saturday, I know. <laughs> crab ass dms people yeah sorry i can't win one losing they don't win day. every yeah, one day saturday. Yeah, yeah i thought you oh, were good no, on it saturday a, it was a bad, it was a brutal yeah. it was a brutal saturday but no yeah that, that goes sure there are some people that were tailing those bets because they were crabby but yeah <laughs> it, it's tough to say like if you if you create closing line value on your own like that if you start to make plays that uh, some other people are gonna run along with you and you know like i said 20 30 people go make the same bet on a, a swack school on the opener they gotta move that a couple points like they have yeah. to they they said we're they taking it. heavy action on this even if it's even if it's smaller bets which i guess in, in that case it's almost just like i'm maxing it a few times and in that case it's the same thing they have to move it so it's tough to say when you are when you are the first to market and it doesn't always go that way. Like I bet on Northern Arizona today, and I don't think that's moving an inch. In fact, it might be even going against me at this point. Like mm-hmm. it's not always the case, but uh, I do like to. I was going to say on these, uh, I try to beat the market most of the time. It's like seventy, seventy some percent of the time, we get a better number, and that's all right with me. That's good though. That's that is above the break-even point. You need to uh, beat the market by to to um, have high confidence that you're going to win long-term. I think that that the number is around 70. It is pretty close. Like I've seen some studies that say two thirds, I've seen some three quarters, but it's kind of right in that, that wheelhouse. So, um, okay. Another question for you. Um, if we are making this big deal, this big to do about closing line value and how important it is. Uh, and, are we implying that there is no way to prove to be a long-term winner or be a long-term winner if you are betting relatively close to the closing bell for these games? I don't know that that's true because I've looked at some and I just can't pull the trigger on some of this because and I, I've tracked these. I've, I've started to track it a little just on my own. Sometimes 
maybe you put some numbers together. You have a model, you have some stats or something, and you think, maybe you think the market's wrong. It's not quite a play. It's not within your threshold. It's not far enough off your numbers to make a play, but it's moving that way. Everybody's betting the opposite of what you think. And slowly the number creeps towards where you would bet it. If you trust your numbers, if you trust your model, if you trust the long-term results it's put out, like, is that a bad play to go yeah, against no, the market once it's reached? Because no, technically it's yeah. just buyback. I mean, it, it's buyback at that point. It, if something, it, it, it's just like you hear all the talking heads and everybody talking about in the NFL when a number sits on plus three, minus three all week and a book moves it to three and a half and it just gets gobbled up. It's, I mean, those, those are not dumb betters. Those are people that are looking for value once a number reaches it. They're not betting the opener. Maybe, and maybe they are, maybe they get some minus two and a half on the opener and they're taking plus three and a half the other way, but either way, that that's not the case for everyone. A number can move your way. You can bet it late if you trust your numbers, I think. I think just being the guy who wakes up on Sunday morning and bets the NFL strictly, you know, on closing numbers, that's going to be tough. That's yeah, going to be right. tough to be. For sure, for if, sure, if for you sure. Can't, if, you can't, if you can't time your market entry, you know, and keep track on the market throughout the week, it's going to be tough to beat the NFL. Yeah, you're betting into the most efficient possible numbers. You are betting 50-50 at minus 110. You yeah that that's that's extremely extremely tough. I agree. Um, okay, so there is one other aspect though. Uh, I mean, you know, what moves numbers? Why is the number moving? What do you, what what are some of the causes? Right, a sharp player plays aside, and the book makes an adjustment based on that sharp player's history. That's one reason, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe uh, volume. Maybe literally like so many players. Uh, hit max plays across a certain number that they have to, you know, for the sake of uh, balancing their liabilities, they need to move the number. That's another reason, right? What yep. about information, right? And this specifically comes into play with my NBA players, which is I had to at some point make a decision of do I wait until all the information is in or do I try to get the best number possible? Right. Because in the NBA, you can get hamstrung relatively regularly by players getting surprise sat or surprise started. Right. Like that, this happens at a wildly frequent clip relative to the number of games. Uh, well, especially after you get into like the, you know, December, January, February timeframe, those that seems to be the most highest uncertainty where you get surprise, uh, surprise injury uh, rest or you know or just just you know load management <laughs> it's Kawhi Leonard classic load management um and you load know it's, it's load management is so fucking ridiculous but anyway the um you know hopefully he's fresh as hell in June in the in the finals against the Warriors that's all I care um the uh but yeah the you know there's information moves the numbers as well weather for sure in the NFL key injuries for sure in the NFL um, and so, I mean, are there ways to kind of hijack and short circuit and get closing line value by speculating on this sort of stuff? Is that not a long-term winning strategy at all? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's a long-term winning strategy unless you have a good outlet for information that you trust. It's like if you actually have insider information, you can crush CLV. One of the greatest CLV plays that I had all year which I had no inside information and was the stupidest dumb luck I've ever had 
and I'll have to, I don't even remember which team it was. I, I want to say they were playing the Raiders. I don't know, because it, I'm it pretty was sure Indy, they were playing Indy the Raiders. Versus the Raiders and I, and I bet, I bet, yeah, I bet, I bet Indy versus the Raiders. Yeah, and then I bet Indy off the opener, and then Amari Cooper got traded. So, you know, like through no, <laughs> th- you know, through nothing I did, I was not the smart person there. And I I love that. I love that line. I still liked it, even with Cooper on the team. But the and maybe it swung too far. Honestly, public perception is so big in the NFL. But man, money just poured in on on the the Colts, and I had a massive amount of CLB on that play. And I don't feel like it was deserved. But that's another one where it doesn't matter. Like it, whether whether you get it and you deserve it or not, like that's. It, it's still it's still there for you. Yeah, I, I guess. How do you feel about that? Like, you know, it was dumb luck, but you still on you still have a way better number. Like, you're gonna have that happen. You you'll probably have it happen against you sometime. Somebody's gonna uh, make a bet, and the quarterback's gonna hurt his knee in practice. Like, that's yeah, no, no, no I mean, you bet. Yeah, some these, some these portion of happen. it, right, right, right. Some portion of it is you made the bet because you expected the line to go in that direction. Anyway. Right. So, you know, that there was an independent event that happened in your favor. You know, those, those are pretty random and they'll probably even out over time in your favor, in your favor and against you. Right. Like, Oh, you wake up and you placed a, you know, a good line on, there was probably a couple of these where a quarterback got scratched relatively late in the week. Uh, Good example. Last, last year, Maybe you played the the Vikings against the Steelers week two, thinking that uh, you know that they were you know that that number was going to get shorter, and then oh by the way, surprise, uh, Sam Bradford's out with a knee injury on the morning of the line, and it moves against you know th- those kind of things. I think even out random acts over the course of this you know long run, so you don't have to really sweat too hard about that. But um, for sure, when it comes to lineups in the NBA, probably for batting lineups in baseball, I'm guessing, I don't know how important that is, but, you know, to a degree, you may want, need to want to know who is actually in a starting lineup for certain matchups. Um, and, um, then, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough in college basketball because information is so scarce. Um, but certainly information plays a key in these sort of things. So besides just being a sharp better or aside being ahead of the volume, uh, you know, you definitely could be just ahead of the information. Um, and for me, at least in the NBA, it's impossible. Like I don't have, I, I'm real. I, I follow as closely as possible across a million Twitter accounts. And I'm still feel like I'm the last to know a lot of times when somebody's surprised out or surprised starting. Um, so I just kind of wait relatively late in the market cycle, uh, before I make my moves on the NBA. Um, and there are other people that are doing that too. I mean, the late, late market moves are usually relatively well-informed in the NBA and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not worth really the sweat and the grind and, and trying to get lucky on, on the surprise, surprise stuff, uh, you know, aside from just modeling and betting accordingly so um yeah yeah and that i mean that's a whole different point but yeah market entry is so important and it varies so much from sport to sport and that's half the reason i hate the nba yeah i don't hate it but i hate betting it during the regular season because of the surprises i hate surprises i hate uncertainty so you're probably wanted to for put, a, put a tweet out about my 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I feel like I probably get some of that too. I've had that happen to me. There's there's weird stuff that happened in college basketball, but I just hate the NBA how it always happens. Like every yeah. day, it's the injuries or the rest, and it drives me up a wall with that uncertainty. But, but I do try to I do try to get as much information as I can before I make a bet. But it is tougher. It's a lot easier to get uh, injury reports on, you know, the Charlotte Hornets than the Charlotte Forty ers yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with uh, next. Uh, so um, you think your process is repeatable on other sports where information is more important and more uncertain? What do you mean by process? Like modeling okay. or just betting yeah. in general? Here, because we did, guess, we did well in the NFL. You, I granted one season, 70 yeah. plays, but we did I'll okay in the you, NFL. I'll ask you a super specific question. Let's pretend like you decided you were going to start modeling something in baseball this year. Would you take the same approach you take with college basketball in terms of process and try to hit the openers with some numerical model? And in doing that, are you going to ignore player level batting because you won't know the lineups? Yeah. And I think baseball, I think I'm going to try something with baseball because I have to find something to do for the summer, but that's, that's something that's kept, it's kept me up at night. Well, honestly, because <laughs> I think with baseball, you, you do have to go player level, which my God, my spreadsheet's going to be so big with how many players are in a team? 25 times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be big. We have 600 players and all their stats. It, uh, the V lookup function is going to be fried. It's not going to be able to find anyone. <laughs> whenever, oh, we'll just think about how many Hispanic names there are in baseball. What's the little accent over the letter? That's going to be tricky. Oh man, V lookup's gonna hate me. Either way, um, yeah, baseball—that is a slippery slope. And I think I want to talk to some people about that who actually model and bet baseball heavily. Uh, especially, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe totals, maybe first five totals. I haven't decided. I, I want to like kind of hone in on one thing to, so I don't spread myself thin and just do shitty. Which I can do shitty either way. Who knows? But you do have to go to a player. You do have to go to a player level. And if you want to bet openers in baseball, you have no idea what the lineups are going to be. Lineups vary quite a bit in baseball. There's no more Cal Ripkins. People are sitting out, you know, after after a long series or a long road series, or if they're the same thing, load management. There's going to be people out, and that's going to change stuff. It's going to change stuff, but uh, and that's where maybe I do want to lean towards like first five because that everything is maybe out, a little least, less yeah. important. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it takes the bullpens out and, and you know, like one, one batter isn't make or break. You're looking at more of the team dynamic, the team stats total because one guy might only get two at-bats. Great point. That's a great point. Te- technically, technically a, a guy in the nine hole might only get one at-bat. The first I life. think you're. I think you're very onto that. I think that's very smart, uh, and that does seem like the right way to attack that market while sidestepping the issue of lineup. Um, okay, interesting, man. The um, okay, the other qu- kind of important question I have, as far as being a market maker goes, is uh, scalping. Um, how have you thought about trying to take a scalp? Are you avoiding it just to avoid being banned? Um, are you, should you be scalping across multiple books here? Should you, you know, how much CLV do you need in your pocket before you go after a middle? You know, like how often do you need to hit a middle for it to be profitable? Have you thought through any of this stuff? I did look at that because 
and I mean, if people want to kind of know what you're talking about, because you, I don't know if that's too vague, but when you do achieve great CLV on a play, there's a very big temptation to bet the other way. Um, I mean, just like some of these ones that monster moves, uh, New Mexico plus four and a half a couple weeks ago. I can remember that close probably at New Mexico one and a half, three point middle, big. Um, both plays lost. It didn't matter. But <laughs> if you can bet, well, and let's just say you're betting minus 110 on either side, it's a 20 to one. I believe that's a Preston thing. I want to say 20 to sports one. Cheetahs. Yes. 20 to 20 one. To one. Yes. That's his yes. thing. So you need, you need, if yes. you're betting, you need off, if middle, you're betting, yeah. You need to hit a middle 5% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're betting $110 on one, at plus, let's just say plus five, and you're betting $110 the other team when it moves on minus two. If you can get it in that middle, you're going to win both bets. If you move the right direction, there is no possible way for you to lose both bets. So the worst case scenario for you in this situation is to lose $10. The best case scenario is you win 200 So vis-a-vis you're risking ten dollars to win 200 and there's there's you know most of the time you're going to lose ten dollars that's just you know how the cookie crumbles landing that close to the line isn't going to happen all that often but if you can have it happen more than five percent of the time you are you know you're risk-free you're risk-free rolling at that point because yeah. if you if you lose if you lose ten dollars nineteen times and then the last one you hit the two hundred you're up ten bucks and you haven't risked anything hardly yeah so do you get to the so I, I don't and I, I think and and if you if you hear about people getting getting banned from books for scalping I mean, that's that's what they're doing they're they're yeah don't do it at the same they book. have computers that are the first one yeah don't don't do it obviously but. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, oh, that, oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you do that, that gets you in book, trouble. Definitely that gets get you in flat. trouble real quick. Oh, yeah. I, I, and, I've done it. A, I have done it a couple times, but it's always a different book. And it's always something wild. Um, one of them was a college football game where there was some information that got out about like it was a smaller school where like 30 players got banned from the game, <laughs> like kicked off the team yeah. for a week or suspended. Yeah. And the, the line moved like three touchdowns. So I, I was on both sides of that. <laughs> and like I did, I think, and this is younger Andy or maybe not younger, but dumber. Right. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure I did it at the same book, which was dumb, but it wasn't real big bets. And it was a thrill to have a 20 point middle. Which yeah. was low. And it hit both sides hit. So that was a nice, nice twenty to one. Nice. I did but that. Yeah, no, that once. When you hear about yeah. arbit- arbitrage betters, scalpers, this is this is what they're doing. And that's I mean, in if they do have an edge, if they're consistently getting line value and betting both sides, like it's gotta be a huge annoyance to these books. Like I can see why they get banned. Like yeah. it's uh it's not quite risk free, but it's close. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh yeah. It's a uh, it's good practice to to spread it across multiple books. Um, yeah, the only really great middle I had all season was on uh, that Rams uh, that Rams uh, Chiefs Monday Night Football game, where uh, I looked I had to kind of go through the fine print of the rules at Nitrogen to make sure they weren't going to avoid my uh, my original bet when they changed the locations from Mexico city to LA and I got about a down, you know, a nut on, uh, 
on Rams minus two and a half, knowing that they were going to close it and reopen it somewhere, you know, north of that, you know, you, you had relative certainty you were going to go across a key number uh, and got, I think it came back on Chiefs plus three and a half, like immediately upon reopening. Um, that was fun because it landed on three. Um, but all that said, the, um, you know, there, there is opportunity. You know, we, eventually you get to be a market maker. You get to be a, you know, a good enough better that they, those type opportunities are going to exist. And you're going to have to think about what you want to do when you get to that point, I would assume. The um, last question I have for you. Uh, what happens if you do your, you know, if you run your numbers, you believe in your numbers and the line moves, you make your bet and the line moves away from you the wrong way. How do you deal with those issues when there's no information there? Do you look at your model, look at your inputs, try to figure out what you missed? Do you think I liked it at 11? I liked it at nine. I like it even more at 11. Like what, like what's the, what's the, the go-to move? Uh, when you see the line moving away from you, just take the L and move on. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, to be fair, this only happens twenty-two percent of the time. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It, I mean, it's just. I just looked at my CLV it percentage. Stings, it, it happens though, when it happens. It stings when it happens. It, it does sting, but you have to realize. And some of the times, I think you, you, you get to realize why. And you start to get smarter. It's the same thing we've said for everything. Like, always be learning, always be improving, always be tweaking, always be changing. Try to stay ahead of it. A lot of the ones that moved away from me, uh, Richmond plus five. People shit on Richmond. Richmond isn't a very good team. Uh, I don't even remember who they were playing. It was a much better team, and they were a small dog. VCU? Yeah, VCU. The, the, I mean, the cream of the league at this point in in the Atlantic 10. So everybody wants to bet the good teams. That's where these, some of them get away from me when I am betting a team that people know are, you know, a, a good team. I would say like UConn plus eight in the American a while back, they played a good team. I'm looking at some of my worst ones. It's always a, a shitty team playing against a team that maybe the public might grab onto where they're going to be betting the favorite no matter what. So even though my numbers liked it, and that's right, it's going to be hard to tell because this doesn't happen all the time. Like, at what point do you say, well, I should wait? Because, man, if I liked Richmond at five, I love them at seven. I would have loved to have gotten the late number there, but uh, I've put a system together, I've put a process together, and I'm, I'm usually just betting the openers. I'm just in if 78% of the time it moves the right way, I'm not going to try to overthink it and change some of this. Okay. I'll just deal with the Richmonds of the world once in a while, I think. Yep. 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 It doesn't change your process. Although it is, if you have a team. No, it, it, is, it, it is nice to know like why, you know? Yeah. Right. If you right. can maybe put a little, put a little context to it where yeah, people shit on Richmond. They, it, they're not a good team. It, it was a good spot for them and my numbers liked them and they yeah. won. Yeah. So sorry, everyone who bet VCU minus five. That was pretty huge cover though. They hit some pretty nice lead. They, they backdoored for you in a nice way. Um, the, okay, cool. Closing line value. Any uh, final thoughts here? Should we put a bow on this? Yeah, ask questions. Like, hit us up because there's a lot to digest here. 
This okay. took us like six months to figure out. Yeah, and we're and, and a lot of conversations. Even, even implying lot. even implying that we haven't figured out right now is probably an overstatement. I mean, we we utilized yeah, it effectively I mean, for one season of football so far. <laughs> so, and you're you're utilizing it effectively right now for college basketball again, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's a couple. So, a couple of the key um, concepts here we want to touch on: uh, converting, get, you know, get used to uh, what it takes to convert U.S. odds to decimal odds, and that's important because decimal odds are much easier to convert to implied break-even percentage. Um, get used to tracking down what the closing line is at a low-margin book like Pinnacle. Uh, for any given play that you make so that you know how much value you've gotten between the time you made your bet and the time that the event starts. Um, Odds Portal is a great mechanism for keeping an eye on that sort of thing. There's lots of other tools, so there's no wrong tool to use here. Um, But uh, yeah, if you make a play on any given point spread or total, um, you know, there is a pinnacle price for that exact play once the game starts and you need to know what price you paid relative to what price they've closed because the efficiency of the market is going to move the number in the direction uh, that it ought to be moved more times than it will not by a long shot. Um, and, you know, this goes to say the more, you know, more liquid the market, the, the higher, the more reasonable conclusions you can make about uh the line movement and what it means in the long term um yeah so uh oh yeah a couple of key things uh how often do you need to beat the closing line to uh be you know consider yourself you know you've figured something out and i think the answer to that question is around two-thirds two three-quarters of the time uh, that seems like a lot, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, I guess. I mean, did you track how often you beat it in uh, the NFL? Yeah, I was at 69% in the NFL. And I, I think that's a pretty respectable number. Like yeah, anywhere so near too. high 60s, low 70s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, you're in, you're, I mean, you're just automatically in a better position than people who don't take it into account and make a conscious effort to get the best of the line, time their market entry. Yeah. And this is just a uh, goes without saying getting the best number. Yeah. That's kind of the basis. The basis fact here is getting the best number is good. This yes. is just a way to track it. Yeah. 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 Um, and f- almost certainly there are, are ways you can scalp against Penny that will get you flagged and kicked off of the offshore books. Um, presumably the, you know, you go to a book that has a bigger margin than Penny has and you can find closing line value <laughs> at the close. <laughs> and, you know, the books def- absolutely have algorithms that track that sort of thing. And if they identify you as a scalper, they will kick you off. So just be warned there. Um, there's no such thing as free money in this industry. <laughs> 0.0% chance that you will find free money. Um, so uh, good luck tracking closing line value. Add it to your repertoire. There's some free money. It just has a 25-10 rollover. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. That is very good. Um, so, all right, man. Yeah. Uh, and again, yeah, hit, we're, we're going to put some good links on for this one because there's a ton of good information out there on this. And we encourage some questions because it's tricky. Some of this is tricky. 
yeah it's true and i think one of the one of the links that we have to have is just definitely the math like it's not hard math but it's it's easier to you know show you in print form than try to explain it over the air on great formulas great point so oh good stuff though all right man let's turn out nice Good job. Uh, good job on good the job on the pre- yeah. Good job on the previews uh, for all of the college basketball action going on right now. Hopefully, everybody has tracked those down at deepdivemedia.co. Uh, and um, yeah, if you have any feedback, uh, by all means, hit us up anytime. And uh, yeah, should have a fun one on Wednesday. 